Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy began to show us the basic principles of understanding spiritual gifts. Today he'll answer five basic questions about spiritual gifts. All right, turn your Bibles with me please to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Let's begin at verse number 1 and then we'll pick up our text in verse 3. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. For we being many are one body in Christ, uh, one body in Christ, and every member one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. So what I'm attempting to do in this series is to do three things. Number one, I want you to know what spiritual gifts are. What are spiritual gifts? What do we mean by spiritual gifts? Number two, I want you to discover which spiritual gift you have and God has given to you. And number three, I want you that want you have understood what spiritual gifts are and understand the gift that God has given to you, I want you to deploy that gift in this ministry. I want you to get engaged in this ministry, to use your, your gift in this ministry, not outside. Because if God has placed you in this church, it's for the purpose of you exercising your gift within the church. That's why it's so important for us uh, to, to get this whole matter of spiritual gifts. Now, one of the things that we are going to do when this series is over is give you what I call a gift inventory brochure. And I will recommend two things. You fill out that brochure yourself, looking at the questions and answering as honestly as possible. Don't try to change the questions. One person asked me, can I add this to it? No, you can't add to it. You can't subtract from it either. It is there to help you. So I, I got, this is my strength, but which, which, is, which is your stronger point? That's the important thing. Which is your stronger point? So you do it yourself. 
The other thing I'm going to suggest to you that you use this gift inventory and get a friend that is going to be objective and ask them to look at you and fill out the form according to how they think what gift you have. And then you take what you've put out and take what your, your, your objective friend is and look at it and see if there's some convergence. I think that helps you to identify more objectively what your gift is. So we're hoping by the end of this um, series that you can do that exercise to discover your gift. Now, of course, I want to explain to you why I think this is important for us uh, to deal with this particular subject. I am looking for us to seize opportunities that's going to be available for us if things work out the way that we think they're going to work out. I'm not here dealing with, with, with the whole question of negativity. No, I'm not dealing with that. I'm dealing with opportunities that are there that we can seize. But we can only seize those opportunities if the people within the church would use their gifts to help with these different ministries. This is a small church. No question about that. So if it's a small church, it means that everybody has a role to play. You know, you go to some of these big churches, got five and, five and 6,000 people, and you just sit down and soak in everything. You just go there to soak in, that's all. You don't get involved, you know, you just go in. Well, if you want to be a sponge, be a sponge. But that's not why you're put in the church, to be a sponge. You're put in the church to, to be a person who gets involved in ministry, to serve. See? Serve each other, encourage one another, love one another. See? That's what the Bible said, the one anothering of the Bible is what is needed in the church. So I want us to work together because I think, number one, we want to try and get a, what I call a, a vibrant Sunday school ministry going again. Now, I don't know if you know this, and uh, you, some of you may know this, but the youth ministry that we have now has benefited enormously from this Sunday school. Most, I understand, of the people who are in the youth ministry came out of that little Sunday school that you guys were having on Sunday evening. Think about that for just a moment. See? Think about that. So if we did not have this Sunday school, we would have a diminished youth ministry. So we need to get a vibrant Sunday school going again. But how are you going to get a vibrant Sunday school going again if people are not prepared to get involved and use their gifts? Can't happen. What about the rehab? Let's suppose the, 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 the incorporation goes through... The government, we just go and sign the document, get the lease agreement. We start doing everything. CWE says, okay, we're going to come and help you build the, the whatever it is, and so on and so forth. Then we, you know, what's going to happen now? You can't run a rehab ministry without people getting involved. Here's the problem, though. Often the same people involved in the Sunday school ministry, it's the same people who now got to get involved because they're the ones doing the work. The others just sit by and enjoy the ministry. That's the problem. That's the problem. And by the way, I will tell you, it's the ones that really do nothing that the ones that complain the most. I make no bones about that. They got too much time on their hand. See? They're not involved in ministry. See? Get involved. See? Get involved. I'm so thankful that they started the men's... Uh, Men's fellowship. And I think we had about, what, 12? I don't know what it was, the figure we had the other day, and so on and so forth. But I, I see out of that men's fellowship, a boys' brigade starting for the school. 
I see four, 16 men, four each week, each Saturday, ministering to these boys in a boys' brigade. I see that happening. I really see that happening. We're here, I've been here 21 years talking about needing to focus on this, trying to get into connect with the school. Now that is a very real possibility. Because if you got four teams of four men, the only one, those four teams got to give one Saturday of the entire month. It's not a burden every Saturday, every Saturday. But surely, in the interest of the welfare of the young men in the school, you should be willing to at least give one Saturday out of the whole month. Does that not make sense? It does. That is a possibility. And I hope it comes to fruition before I die or before my time is over. See? Because I think those kids need help. Most of them, uh, Robert will tell you when he talked, most of them don't have a father in the home. So how are we going to minister to young men in the this, in this school if we don't have a ministry to minister to them? But how are we going to do it if we don't have people willing to put their gifts at the disposal of the church? You can't start something without people saying, Pastor, I'm willing to help there. So it's not just to rehab, it's not just to Sunday school. And I don't think there's a single person sitting here this morning who doesn't think that those young boys in this school, over 150, that they don't need some kind of help. They're not getting it in the home, they're not getting it in the community. The church has to minister to these people. But how is it going to minister until somebody gets a burden and say, you know what, I can help in this matter, Pastor. I can't teach Sunday school, but you know what, I can be there. I can teach them to do drills. I can teach them to do things like plumbing. I can teach them to do things like fixing a lawnmower or whatever it is. Connect with them. And I haven't stopped there yet, but what about the Bible Institute? We got all the, all the literature we need to start the Bible Institute in the office already. We bought it already. What about when that gets started? And the counseling starts. What happens then? What about the Ten Crusades? Oh, Pastor, gosh. You're really wearying us out now. But where I live... I can hear the Seventh-day Adventists got a tent way above there. Every, almost every Sunday night, I can hear them with a tent preaching away. And I'm asking myself, where, where are we? Where's our voice? Where's our voice? See? And I would like to say that's part of the reason we started the homiletics class. So that the men in the church who want to hone their skills in homiletics would learn how to prepare messages. And when we have crusades... They help preach in the crusades. They help preach in the church. See, That's the whole purpose of it. There's not a one-man show. There are no lone rangers in the ministry. See, We all have to work together, but you need people to put their gifts at the disposal of the ministry. And the other thing is this. I'm not too sure if we get, we got getting back there yet. But we might get back there where it is a possibility that we could do the home Bible studies in people's homes. I don't know who wants people in the home right now. That's the truth. I don't know. Some people seem to be okay with it. Other people still seem to have a problem. But let's suppose it goes back to some kind of normalcy and there are people willing to do that. Well, to my mind, it's more important reaching people outside the church than to come together and have a nice, jolly good time. Uh, I would rather sacrifice one of the four ministries we started on Sunday nights and include that. Because we need to go to the people if they're not coming to us. What I'm saying to you, 
we need to release the full potential of this church and this congregation. This is not a time for us to hold back. It's a time for us to push ahead with vigor and with enthusiasm. Uh, we've got to make sure we understand that the cause of Christ is more important than any one single individual. And the time is short. And we have to do what we need to do and do it now. Go work today in my vineyard, he said to the guy. Go work today. Go work today in my vineyard. Go work today in my vineyard. Lord, I will follow you. Go work today. See, there's no guarantee of tomorrow or next week or a year from now. That's why it is urgent for us to get involved in ministry as a church. To put it in negative terms, there are three things that happen when the truth about spiritual gifts are ignored. Let me put it in a negative way. Number one, there is waste, wasted effort in people trying ministries for which they are not gifted to do. Can you imagine a carpenter trying to do plumbing? Uh, can you imagine a, 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 um, a carpenter trying to do surgery? Would you allow us a carpenter to perform surgery on you? But in many, many cases, the, the church finds itself in that position. There are people who are simply not suited for a particular thing. And I know that they volunteer to do it because nobody else volunteers. But they know that that's not what they enjoy doing. And by the way, one of the ways that you can know your, your gift is do you enjoy doing what, what this thing is? If you don't enjoy it, you can pretty much know it is outside the pale of your giftedness. So one of the things when we ignore this Portuguese is that it's a wasted effort because people are in ministries and they're not gifted for those ministries. And that's why they get so frustrated. They don't have the requisite spiritual gift to handle that ministry. So it's a burden to them in the sense that it's, they wish they could get out of it, but you know, their conscience tell them, well, you know, somebody got to do it. That's what happens when people don't make the gifts available to the church. Other people who are not gifted in that year fill in that post, but they do it with frustration. Secondly, when we don't identify our spiritual gifts, there's what I call unused potential because there are many who would love to serve, but they don't know what their spiritual gift is. So there must be some kind of means of trying to ascertain one. It's not that I don't my part, I pass, I want to serve, but I don't know what my gift is. So when that happens in the church, you have untapped potential. The potential is there, but it's not tapped into because they really don't know this. And they're very honest with you. And thirdly, there's what I call an uneven quality in some ministries. Some ministries prosper because they've got the right gifts attached to it. And some, gifts, some ministries are hindered because... The gifts and the work are not matched. So what you have, quite frankly, is different levels of quality of ministry. So when I am talking about this matter of spiritual gifts, it's a very relevant topic for the church. We need to understand the importance of, of this matter. So my goal in dealing with this subject it's to try to take the mystery out of spiritual gifts and try to help you to understand the relevance of those gifts to the 21st century church. And to this end, I want to ask some very basic questions, uh, answer some very basic questions that people ask. And let, let me tell you those basic questions. Number one, 
What exactly, Pastor, is a spiritual gift? What's a spiritual gift? And by the way, there's a, a great deal of confusion even on this whole matter and a lot of fuzzy thinking concerning this, this subject. Yeah. You know. uh, is a spiritual gift the same as a natural talent? I mean, a man can play guitar, a man can do artistic work, a man is good at mechanics. Does that mean that's my spiritual gift? Well, I would like to say to you that your spiritual gift is not your natural gift. I'll explain that in just a moment. So don't equate a natural gift with a spiritual gift. They're two different things altogether. Others think of spiritual gifts as something unusual, something supernatural, something that is uh, mysterious. So they want, uh, when they put their fingers, electricity come out. And people fall down, you know. No, that's how they think of spiritual gifts. They, unless it is something uh, unusual, they don't, they don't think it's a spiritual gift. But you read what Paul says. The gift of help, the gift of mercy. Where does electricity come from? So that's another mistake that people make. And that was the grand error of the Corinthian church. They thought that the church, the gift that was spectacular and displayed, especially speaking in tongues. I mean, everybody sees speaking in tongues. So you are the center of the church when you can speak in tongues. Everybody gravitated. Everybody wants speaking in tongues. Everybody wants speaking in tongues. And Paul, do all speak in tongues? It's a gift. See, it's a gift. So I want to make it very clear. It's not a natural gift in terms of your natural talent. And also, it is not something that is uh, demonstrated by some kind of supernatural manifestation in the sense that there's something mysterious and unusual about it. No. Let's call it the gift of helps. You ever saw, a lot of you don't see the gift of helps being in operation because the gift of helps is operating outside the church. There are people in this church who visit elderly people. There are people in this church who carry food for people. There are people in this church who talk to other people and encourage other people. You, you don't have a clue. See, if you think that this is what happens in the church, you don't got a clue what goes on outside the church. See? But those are things, there's nothing spectacular about those things. But they're needed ministries. I've often said, I, you know, the verse of scripture that bothered me for a while, but then after you begin, you become mature, you begin to understand what ministry is all about. Jesus said, there are many who are first, I'll give you what? Last. And many who are last who are going to be first. That involves the secret ministry that those people are doing that nobody sees about, that gets no attention, no applause, no accolades, but they're doing it very secretly and very privately. The person that, of course, who's always on display, whether the pastor, the song leader, or any other person, your pastor, whatever it is, we are seen every day, all the time, etc. But those people may be doing a more effective ministry in the lives of people than even the pastor and the youth pastor and whoever it is as well. You, you just don't know. Don't judge things before the time. Let God be the judge on these matters. So let me give you a very simple definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability which enables the believer to effectively serve in the local church. Let me read, say that again. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to a believer so that he may effectively serve within the church. Now, let's, let's, um, let's take that definition and uh, let's look at the elements of that, that definition for just a moment. First of all, a spiritual gift is a God-given ability. 
It is something given to you and given to me. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. Now, I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but you can read it for yourself. But Paul is speaking about gifts in this chapter. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look there on verse uh, 10, he has ascended and uh, the same unto ascended up far above heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, verse 11, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints. But notice what Paul says uh, in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I mean, it cannot be plainer. That a spiritual gift is a God-given ability. He gives it to you as a gift. It is not something that you and I can earn. It's not something you and I could learn about. It's not something you and I can manufacture. It's not something somebody can teach you either. Do you know there's a place in America that if you want to be a prophet, they will teach you how to be a prophet, but it's going to cost you. See? Yeah. I don't know if you know that. I'm serious. Do you know there are churches who bring in people from overseas to teach the people how to speak in tongues, how to roll the mouth or whatever? Do you know that? I'm, ser- I'm dead serious. I'm not telling you anything. that I'm, 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 de- over my- I'm telling you it happens. See? But this is a gift. It's a gift. I can't impart a gift to you that only God can impart to you. And I can't teach you that gift. Now, you can take the raw gift you've got and you can develop that gift through training. But the actual gift itself is something God has to give you. That's the point that Paul is making here. So number one, it's something that God gives. Number two, it's an ability. An ability. It means, therefore, it qualifies you to do something in the church because it's an ability that God gives to you. It's not just to hang on the shelf. By the way, ever been in some people's house that they have so many things? One time I was in, uh, which was it, no? And they had a gentleman there who was fairly wealthy because he had a parts place. And uh, I stayed in his home. Man, the home was like a warehouse. You know, you got one blender. She got so many blenders pop up on one on top of the other. You know, you got one of this in your home, stuff like that. I went, what in the world are you doing with all of these? And these are not things they're selling, you know. These are things they buy for their home. So that even when you're going down the corridor, you're almost going to make yourself down through the corridor. <laughs> the ability. If it's an ability, it simply means that you can do something in the church. And notice the third thing is the ability, God-given ability for believers. Only believers are given spiritual gifts. Now, a non-believer may have a natural talent. All people have some natural talent that they inherit. From their fathers, from whatever it is. But so a gift spirit cannot be a natural talent because everybody has a natural talent of some kind. A spiritual gift is something that only believers, it's an exclusive club, as it were, that are given spiritual gifts, and those are believers. 
And the fourth thing in the definition is that they're given to enable us to effectively serve within the local church. Of course, there are many people that serve, but there are also those that serve who don't do it effectively. And what you want in terms of ministry is that the spiritual gift is to enable you to serve effectively in the role that you're fulfilling. That's why it's so important to know what your spiritual gift is. Don't underestimate the subject. In three different occasions, the Apostle Paul has to deal with it. In the Ephesians church, the Corinthian church, the Roman church, and Peter deals with it in one of those churches in, uh, scattered abroad, a Jewish church. That's how important this topic is. If you look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for just a minute, please. First Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, let's read from verse number 6 to verse number 8. He said, There are diversities and operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these, all these Work of all that one and the self-same spirit divided every man severally as he will. They'll work together. And look at what he goes on to say in verse 12. For as the body is one and have many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. In other words, you're dealing with a oneness, with diversity. Unity in, in, in the midst of diversity. You've got members that are diverse, but there's a unity that must be maintained. It's centered around Christ. He's talking here, of course, about the church functioning efficiently as a unit with diverse members contributing towards that unity by utilizing their gifts without any level of competition involved in that matter. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 as well, He's explaining why the gifts were given. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. See, It's to be used within the church, within the ministry. To perfect or mature the church. See, Develop believers. That's why that gift is given to you and to me. See? So that's a spiritual gift. When you leave here... Uh, one of the things that you must clearly understand when you leave here, you can't say, well, Pastor, I don't know what a spiritual gift is. No, a spiritual gift is a God-given ability to the believer to allow the believer to effectively minister within the church. Okay? God doesn't give you a spiritual gift for you going to make money. Okay? Being a broker or something, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We don't spiritual ministry in the church. We don't ministry in the church. That's what spiritual ministry is about. Number two, the second important question is, does every believer have a spiritual gift? 
There are some believers that say, I don't know where I fit in. I ain't got no gifts, I ain't got no talent. I know my job, I just come. You know. Poor you, poor you. Oh, my dear friend, you ought to look at this thing much different than that. God is far greater than you think he is. And God has given you a gift. So don't say you don't have a role to play and poor you. See, God has endowed you with a gift as a believer. And the scriptures leave absolutely no doubt about this matter. Go back to Romans chapter 12 and look at verse number 6 again. Having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us. Notice the us. And notice the gifts. We all have gifts. But just in case you find that that is too general, let me show you you the Bible is very, very specific on this matter. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 and then we look at Ephesians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? Given to who? Verse 7. Every man. So you have a gift. He has given you a gift. Every man. But look at, look at even more stronger in case you want something even stronger. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. But unto what? Every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So how are you going to argue against that now? Every one of us, the gift is given. So there's no one person here this morning that can leave this building saying, I don't have a spiritual gift. If you are a born again believer, you have a spiritual gift. And that gift is an ability to be used within the church to make the ministry more effective. That's what you need to understand as a believer. I may say this to you, you may be surprised this. You might discover you don't just have one gift. You have several gifts. We all have one. But it's not limited to one. We, have, we may have more than one gift. For example, take Philip. When we're introduced to Philip in Acts chapter 6, Philip is one that served. That's what the word deacon is. He's serving tables. He's helping take care of the social welfare needs of the church. The Grecians and the, and the Hebrews are fighting over uh, daily necessities. The widows. The church has got a, a program like the Salvation Army meeting the needs of these widows. And they feel somehow that the Greeks are being neglected. And therefore, there was a furor that came up. And then they said, okay, let's choose seven men. And they chose Stephen as one of the seven deacons. And the word deacon means serve. So they, here is his role. He's serving. That's his gift. That's the serving gift as a deacon. But you know what you discover when you come to Acts chapter number 8? This same Philip who is serving as a deacon is now an evangelist. He's the one that's preaching when the Ethiopian eunuch is there. So he started out with a serving gift. And now he now has the gift of an evangelist. You remember what our Lord said? He warned you. 
He gave a man ten, and a man took the ten and produced other ten. He gave a man five, and the man with five produced other five. The one that had one said, I, I just bury it. He said, take the gift he has and give it to another. See? Take away the gift. And by the way, God does take away gifts. Take away. I can tell you, since I've been in this church, I can tell you right now in private where I've seen God take away a gift. I can tell you in private if you come to me, and I, and I, will, I will tell you the person, and you will say, yes, that's true. Take away the gift. Very, very obvious. You don't use it, you lose it. See? Think of the Apostle Paul. Paul was an apostle. That's a gift. Paul was a man that prophesied. He's a prophet. That's a gift. Paul was a teacher. That's a gift. Paul even told the people who were talking in tongues, I speak more in tongues. He had the gift of tongues. Paul was an evangelist. Paul was an administrator. Paul was an encourager. All of those are spiritual gifts. So one gift. Don't restrict yourself to believe that you only have one. You do have at least one gift. But you may have many other gifts that God may give you. And I'll tell you what. As you begin to use, and allow God to use that gift and that gift, another one pops up and he uses it and so on and so forth. To him who have much, much is required. And he also said, who has? You take away from him who did not and then give to him who has not. So I'm saying to you this morning, that uh, every believer have a spiritual gift, and uh, that gift is not just restricted to one. Uh, the other. A, a third question, quickly, is when are these gifts given to the believer? When do we get our spiritual gifts? Now, I will say that the Bible does not directly address this subject explicitly, but there is an analogy I think that's appropriate at this point in time. When does a person, an ordinary person, receive his natural gift? He receives his natural gift at conception. When he's born and conceived, that natural gift, is, he has that natural gift. I think I told you one time, uh, I saw a guy, I think he was from Africa, that went to London. Never had a day of art training in his entire life. And, and drew up all the buildings, the, the fancy buildings. You know, in, in London, I've never been there myself, but I understand they got a lot of fine, fine fancy stuff. Uh, they couldn't believe it. But he never. I saw a four-year-old boy on, on 10. You could probably go on YouTube. Who can pay Bach? You know how many years it takes you to learn that? Like, like the level he has. It's a natural gift. Natural gift. You know the people who graduate from university at 12 years old? 14 years old? I couldn't do that. I ain't got that kind of brain. See? That person had a gift. No question about that. See? So the same way we, we have our natural gifts when we get physical conception, when we get spiritually born again is when God gives us that gift, when he gives us his spirit. See, That's when the gift comes. And that's why I say to you, it's a gift that belongs only to believers and believers receive that at new birth, when they become born again. A fourth question, is it possible to have a gift and not know the gift? The answer to that question also is yes. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 14. 
And then while you're there, turn your hand to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14 reads, Neglect not the gift that's in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, by the laying of hands. Neglect it, Timothy. Don't neglect it. Here's a man who has a gift and he's not using the gift. And Paul is saying, don't neglect this gift. Look what he tells him in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the laying of hands. Stir up the gift. The gift is there, Timothy. Stir it up. Use it. See? Someone has compared spiritual gifts to seeds. It's there. But you know anything about a seed? It develops here and it comes up and then it remains dormant for a period of, and then something happens and the seed develops here again. So it's like that's how gifts are. You've got a gift here, using this gift here, and it seems as though you don't have another gift. And then the circumstances come up where that, that gift that's always been there, no develops because the conditions are there to pro- cause you to produce the gift. See? Resident within. But it only comes to the fore within the circumstances where it is needed for that ministry. See? And that brings me to the last question. How many spiritual gifts are there? I did not know that there's such a disagreement on this subject until I started doing a little investigation. How many gifts are there? And what shocked me that some of the, um, some of the men that I thought saw eye to eye on matters differ greatly on the subject. For example, uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie, who's written the book on Bible doctrines, he said there are 14 gifts. Dr. John Walverd who has written extensively, not only books on systematic theology, but Bible prophecy and so on. The two best books on, on Bible prophecy, the book of Daniel and, and Revelation, are written by John Walbert. He said there are 16 gifts. Chuck Swindoll says there are 16 gifts. Bill Gothard, I don't know if you know him. This is a guy that did a lot of training in America. I don't hear much about him these, these days. But he said that there are 17 gifts. Kenneth Gangal said there are 20 gifts. And Peter Wagner said there are 27 gifts. So how many gifts are there? Well, I can only tell you my observation that if you take the list in Corinthians, the list in Ephesians, the list in Romans, and the list in Peter, there are only 19. So I want to know where these guys get these other gifts from. So I now need to try to maybe see if I can get the book online to see why is this diversity on this whole matter? Why did, you know, can't we come to a conclusion? You, you do it for yourself. And uh, we will be looking at those 19 gifts because I think when you tally them, you'll see very clearly in, in, in this passage that uh, we have these 19 gifts that Paul talks about. In actual fact, there are six lists of gifts in four chapters in the Bible. Six lists of gifts. And when you take those lists of gifts... Uh, I think you can quite clearly that there are gifts that are uh, 19 of them. So that's where we are uh, this morning. Those are the kind of basic questions I hope to answer. And uh, we're going to pick up next week the other thing that Paul emphasized here. Not only about grace gifts, no. Uh, that's the principle. All our gifts are grace, are grace gifts. But we're going to pick up where Paul deals with this matter. And, uh, and then we'll go to the other New Testament teachings to really look at the specific gifts so that you 
would know exactly what this gift is and how this gift is supposed to be used. And then I hope they are willing to cooperate with us with this matter of trying to give you a gifts inventory for you to assess what your gifts are. And I'm going to suggest what I say to you. You do it yourself. And then get a best friend or a friend that you know is going to be objective and tell him that the same information here, you, 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 you know me well enough. Tell me what you think by just marking these things down. I think it gives you a much more balanced picture of how you view yourself and how people view you in respect to your gifts. And I think somewhere along the line, you're going to see that there is a clear indication that you recognize certain gifts, that person recognizes certain gifts. That's probably where your area of giftedness is. And I hope you're willing to cooperate with that. Well, you know what some people say? Ah, there's no inventory of gifts in the Bible. <laughs> there's no Sunday school in the Bible either. There's no youth ministry in the Bible either. There's no rehab in the Bible either. It's silly argument that people come up with sometimes just uh, realize that it's more opposition than anything else, right? So you've got to understand what you're dealing with and try to understand that we, when we give you the, the thing, cooperate with us in the whole process. And uh, we will help you to see if you can discern what your gift is. The only thing I will ask you that once you've discerned what your gift is, resolve that you're going to use that gift in the ministry. That's all I'm asking you to do. Once you identify it, use it in the ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the great teaching of the Apostle Paul. What insight he had into this matter. He says it and expresses it so simply. But the more you plumb the depths of it, you understand that there's more to it than just on the surface. We ask you as we venture out in this area of study, that every single believer here this morning would have one passion. If there are spiritual gifts, as the Bible says, I need to know what my gift is. I need to know my gift. But that gift will only be manifested if there's also a desire for that gift to be used in the Lord's ministry. Why would the Lord show us our ear of giftedness and we have no intentions of employing it in the ministry? So I ask you, O Lord, this morning to help every single believer here uh, to cooperate in this series and to really themselves search their own hearts and perhaps even study the passage for themselves uh, so that your spirit would have some ammunition to use in trying to define uh, the gifts that that person may have. Give us a heart to serve you, Lord. The time is short. The confusion of our times. There's so much uncertainty. People uh, are frustrated. Um, they seem to have lost direction. Uh, I just pray that as a church, uh, we can have certainty on these matters. These are not for us to debate and dispute, but above all else as well, Father, we need to project to people that while people are complaining and pessimistic, we see the opportunities. And to use those opportunities, we need to have gifted people who will uh, help us to seize that moment and accomplish your purpose and your will. Thank you for those who sat and listened. And we pray that you would accomplish your work in our lives. Uh, help this church to achieve the ministries and attain the goals that you would have it to. Frustrate us if we're doing something that is out of your, out of your plan, out of your will. Uh, but give us a vision and a burden. And help us to be concerned about ministry. And not just about stalemating. But moving ahead and progressing. And having a vision of greater things that we can do as a church. May we all cooperate in this effort and may your people work together and labor together uh, 
and that we may equally share in the reward that will come in the end. We pray these mercies now in Christ's name. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us how the church is a body and every believer must function within that body using their spiritual gifts. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.